Welcome to the Modern Girl Podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Parsons. I'm a certified holistic health coach, intuitive eating specialist, and health at every size advocate. Cozy up with me each week for empowering conversations with ambitious women as we share real stories around our relationships with food, body, and moving through life in the modern world. Hey, welcome back. I I'm so glad to be back with you this week. I've been traveling on the East Coast. My husband and I were just in Florida visiting my family, which was so great. We hadn't seen them since the holidays, which I'm sure you might be able to imagine, if not are experiencing it yourself just with COVID and everything. It's been a bit of a struggle being able to stay together. So we savored every single moment. And then he and I road tripped up to Charleston to spend some time with his family. And it was a great two weeks and also just fun to get away. Um, if you're anything like me, you crave adventure as well too. And that is something that I've really noticed being in quarantine and just with everything going on in terms of social distancing, not having that immediate access to adventure, which I get it, it's, it's totally privileged, but I also believe that you can have adventure in very simple ways too. But not having access to the type of adventures that I really like to go on and like to go on with him, um, it's been challenging and eye-opening to get that inspiration from other places. So. Needless to say, I was totally revived being able to go and spend some time with them and just get out of our our space for a while. And now we're back on the East Coast in our home with our fur babies and just regrouping and settling back into everyday life. Before I hopped on to record this intro, something just popped into my mind that I wanted to share with you. Over this summer, because we just haven't had that much to do. I have put up so much content that you may or may not even realize is there and it's free. And so a lot of this is linked in the show notes, but just to give you a heads up, if you need any kind of support or resources around intuitive eating, body image, healing your relationship with food, or really just wanting to get into my energy and how I work with clients, there's a lot of opportunities to do that. You can get connected on Instagram. I'm sharing there pretty actively through my stories and my feed. You can also click the IGTV button and you'll find a ton of trainings around all of those topics and more. Um, I also have a Pinterest account that I've created specifically for intuitive eating and it has everything from journal prompts to meditation to really information about intuitive eating, body image resources, and then just fun decoration tips, life tips, things that I find interesting in terms of travel and fashion and all of those things. And so that's another resource. My website also has a section where I share a weekly blog. So those are a few places to start. Um, but if you have any questions, you can always reach out to me on Instagram and I'm happy to direct you. All right. Just wanted to say that before we jumped into this awesome conversation today, I'm so excited for you to get to know Franny. She is so incredible. Franny Conforti, better known as Franny's Food Freedom, 
she's an intuitive eating nutritionist and also a disordered eating coach. She specializes in helping women in their 20s and 30s heal their relationship to food and their bodies so that they can finally achieve food freedom. Love this girl. Just met her actually a couple of months ago. And this was a really, really awesome conversation where we we were able to talk about family dynamics a lot in terms of our relationship with food and our bodies and just that identity that we face as women connecting with one another in social situations um, and how she broke free from that and really healed her relationship with food, the disordered eating patterns that were really plaguing her and how that led to the work that she does now in terms of supporting her clients and her community with this type of work. She's awesome. She's very down to earth. And if you are in a place in the week where you're feeling a little bit frazzled and just need something really calming and soothing and grounding and practical, I think you'll really get something out of this conversation because she just has that type of presence. And I'm really excited for you to connect with her. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Franny Conforti. Hope you enjoy, and I will see you later. Fran, thank you so much for being here today. It's it's so great to have you here. I'm so glad that we're finally getting to know each other, and I'm really, really looking forward to getting to know you and hearing your story. So thank you so much for for just being here and being willing to having have this conversation. Thank you for having me on. It's such a pleasure to speak on this podcast. I really enjoy it myself. And yeah, I'm excited for this conversation and where we might go with it. Awesome. Let's do it. So the first question, as you may or may not know, um, that I ask everybody who comes on is your first body awareness moment. So can you just share what that looked like for you, that moment where you realized hey, I'm in a body and this means something in the world that I live in, the the culture that I'm in right now. So when I was thinking about this question, I I just kind of went with the first thing that hit me. And I remember being like 10 years old and I was in this store with my grandmother and she's just like this little old classic Italian grandmother <laughs> in Canada. And um, she was talking to her friend about me and she said something like, oh yeah, like her body's built like a horse. And I just remember like, being like, well, what does that mean? Like my body's built like a horse. And I asked her and she was like, well, like you have these broad shoulders and you have these really long arms and like, you know, you are really tall. So like, you're just like, like a horse, like you're strong, like thick, like fit, I guess, girl. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it was just something that like stuck with me for a long time. And I was like, do I want to be this- like, what does that mean? Do I want to look like a horse? Like, why is my body being compared to that? And like, what does that mean about me? And like, I kind of spent like the next little while just trying to like reshape my body physically. And like, I feel like that's how I ended up falling. I mean, not that specific moment. There were obviously several different issues surrounding why I ended up choosing a path of um, self-harming through disordered eating. Um, to change my body shape but I remember that moment specifically like really hitting me like wow my the way I'm shaped is important 
and like mm-hmm. says something about who I am. Yeah, and also people have an opinion about it. That too, yes. Yeah, that's that's so um, that's so interesting. Just getting that feedback. So, what was the next step for you? I know that you mentioned that you did try some self manipulation and, and body size and things like that. So, what was the next part of um, just hearing that type of feedback, and, and what did you do with it? Yeah, I got really, I, I know I got really upset and like it really hurt me because I still think about it till this day. But I think after that, I started to really become aware of like if I was too big and like the comments that my family would make about like how much I ate because I did like to eat food. Like, um, you know, intuitively, I just normally ate a lot of food. Maybe I was on the heavier side as a kid, but like nothing you know, that they were concerned about, but their language around body image really wasn't positive growing up. Like, um, you know, there was a lot of fat phobia, I'd say, fat phobic language in the house. And um, eventually by the time I turned about like 13, I had already started to try things like dieting and going down like a slippery path with restriction. And like, I fell a lot into that kind of, um, thin spo section mm-hmm. of, um, Tumblr <laughs> where I learned a lot about how to restrict and how to um, engage in disordered behaviors to alter weight and lose weight. Mm-hmm. And that became a really strong focus in my life for the next like 10 years, essentially. Yeah. So I, I caught that you're Italian. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> so what was your relationship with food like growing up? Because just from, and I'm not Italian, but I, I actually had a roommate who was, and food was a huge part of her family in, even in Connecticut. And um, what did it look like for yours? Yeah, I'd say like in um, a cultural, like a traditional European traditional Italian family food is also a central point where like people gather together to explore it and enjoy it as a pleasurable experience and like food has always had a lot of importance it's also a sign of love in my culture and also within my family it's um, it's a comfort tool it's like something that we used to celebrate so there are different connotations attached to food and it is like a central focus point when we gather together in groups for sure and sharing your food is another big thing within like these kind of European cultures Mm -hmm. so like food was something that we loved and adored and appreciated and respected and like made lots of for sure there was always abundance in my house especially when it came to like very traditional dishes and that kind of stuff my mom loved to cook my grandmother loved to cook you know I was very um spoiled I'd say in that way where I had a lot of really delicious food growing up but at the same time there was also this pressure of like you know, you are an embarrassment to the family if you eat in a particular way, if you eat a lot, if you don't fit into this box of being, you know, feminine and Mm. like um, small and and actively trying to like shrink yourself essentially. So it was like a very love-hate relationship where it was like, oh, eat all the things, right? Like you always know like the stereotype of an Italian grandmother being like, eat, eat, eat. <laughs> but mm-hmm. at the same time, behind the scenes, it was like, if you were a girl, it was kind of like, oh, but don't eat too much because yeah. like, I don't gain weight, you know? 
I, yes, I appreciate you saying that. And it sounds confusing. And I've, I've actually had a, a couple of other guests on who have shared similar stories. And I, you know, I think this story is so relevant for so many different cultures, even the American culture, because food is this celebratory communal part of life. And it is such a beautiful way um, to bring people together and really connect. But at the same time, when the mixed messages come in around body size, and especially to your point, don't eat too much. And as, as a woman, this is kind of your lane and you should stay in it. That's where it starts to feel really, really confusing, especially as an adolescent too. Um, did you have any sisters growing up? Yes, I have a sister and, um, her and my mom, I'd say like, I guess both of them also have disordered behaviors around food, which I realize now, like, um, all of us engage in these disordered behaviors and almost encourage each other to do them at some point in life. Obviously I've shifted out of that now because I coach women in recovering from mm -hmm. their disordered eating. But yeah, for a long time we kind of enabled each other into that and like felt like it was our obligation as well. Like, I don't know if you've ever been around a group of girlfriends and you kind of feel like it's your obligation to like encourage them to lose weight in a sense or like, to try a new diet with you and like kind of get you on their team. It was like similar within my family dynamic with my sister and my mom as well. Yeah, absolutely. That sense of camaraderie and also just feeling like I want to fit in. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Is your sister younger or older? She's three years younger than I am. Okay. Interesting. So you mentioned that, restriction really came in to play when you were 13. Can you just walk us through your journey um, of what your relationship with food, what your relationship with your body looked like when you were going through high school and then even into young adulthood? Yeah, for sure. Um, it is a bit of a long story, but I'll try to keep it short and sweet. <laughs> so, um, yeah, when I was 13, I really started to kind of get into the whole dieting mindset, even exploring dieting. Um, I was very encouraged to do that actually by like my family in some ways, like they obviously actively didn't say like, no, you need to lose weight and do this thing. But they were like, oh, yeah, it's kind of a good thing that you're starting a diet. Like, oh, you're stepping into the transition from like girlhood to, you know, teenagehood womanhood this is kind of like almost a rite of passage I felt like yeah <laughs> you know and um then eventually by the time I went to high school so I would have been about 14 15 I had like fallen so deeply into restriction that it became full-blown anorexia and to a point where people began to notice, like, especially my friends around me in school, um, you know, my family members, they had like a, <laughs> a, I remember one specific night having a talk with them where, um, you know, they were really upset that like I wasn't eating dinner with them and I was giving them such a hard time. I wouldn't eat my lunches at school. I'd bring them home and like just, you know, all the signs and symptoms of someone who may be restricting or having disordered relationship with food. And, um, yeah, they 
they started to really notice it, but their approach to it was to like yell at me and kind of say like, if you don't stop this behavior, like you won't be allowed in this house. Not really taking the approach that I would have necessarily would have, like in the reverse if this happened to my child. But um, I think it scared me enough to like start eating again, which was great. But Ooh. at the same time, it didn't really deal with the actual disordered eating. So this eventually as I grew up, like, you know, continue to try different diets, especially around like prom or semi-formal, like these like, you know, dances and events. Um, just doing like the normative thing, really, like what was normative for myself and the other girls in my life, which was like to constantly be trying to lose weight or like go to the gym or exercise, do all these behaviors that were somewhat normalized and encouraged. And yeah. By the time I'd made it to university, like, I'd gone through all of that and um, never really healed truly. And by the time I'd gone to university, I had, I, I felt really like a huge transition in my life. I think most people experience from high school to university, which put a lot of stress onto my life. And food was one of the ways that I coped for sure. And mm -hmm. one of the reasons I started having, you know, disordered behavior around it. So... I ended up on the opposite side of the spectrum, which was binge eating and um, bulimia. And so I had gone, you know, within the matter of four years from one end of the spectrum to the complete other side. Mind you, like the entire time physically, you probably wouldn't be able to notice or tell that I had an eating disorder. A lot of people mm -hmm. who weren't really close to me probably wouldn't be able to notice it. Um, and so my body was never really a, a reflection of what was going on. And I kind of say sometimes that like my body is just the most resilient thing that like mm -hmm. it's so well equipped to survive a famine that I never got to a state where I ever looked really sick. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, that meant that I never actually got adequate care, that I never really um, saw my behavior as a problem and that I spent a long time not actually working on what was going on. And I, yeah, I eventually got to my own kind of rock bottom moment with food after I'd graduated nutrition school, um, where I knew way too much about food. I was way too obsessed with food. At this point, I, I would say that I developed orthorexia, even though I didn't have a clinical diagnosis. But like, judging from my behavior now as a disordered eating coach, I would say that I was um, pretty much there. And I was spending like two hours a day at the gym and like doing all the things and counting all the calories and taking all the measurements and being very, very obsessive with food and what I thought was healthy and what it was actually encouraged somewhat in nutrition school. And yeah, from one end of the pendulum to the other is basically how I swang for about 10 years until um, I found intuitive eating. And I only knew one nutritionist in Toronto that was really doing intuitive eating at the time or like that I'd heard of. And it was such a new concept to me. It was so foreign that you could um, potentially like not have to ever count calorie again and that you could have full permission around food and all these things. And I remember like sitting there looking at this information like, wow, this person's crazy. Like if I don't do these things and I will spiral out of control and gain a hundred pounds. And eventually I just couldn't deal with myself anymore. I was thinking about food from morning to night and just living this lifestyle that didn't make me really feel happy. Um, and yeah, we decided to give it a try. And <laughs> the rest is pretty much history. And that's how I became a disordered eating coach, realizing that intuitive eating was one part of the solution that I needed. And 
um, yeah, it's brought me. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, thank God you, you did and that you can share that with the women that you support now and also heal, heal for yourself. This is such a powerful story. I really appreciate you sharing. And there were so many, I was taking notes while you were talking and you said so many things that really just landed for me. Um, one in particular was just the rite of passage for dieting, which I, I can totally relate to. And I hear this a lot with, with clients and also just, I think it's very real. I think it's very common, you know, especially whether it's that that's groups of friends or family or whatever type of community you're engaging in at that age. Dieting is so ingrained in our culture that it's really hard to escape. And so as a woman, if you're not doing it, if you're not trying to manipulate your body in some way, or you're not trying to um, eat healthy, quote unquote, in some way, or restrict it, it's almost like you're the black sheep. Mm, yeah, for sure. I, yeah, it's, it's so encouraged, right? It's like, oh, you, if in someone's perception in your family, if you are too heavy, or what they think is too heavy, then like, automatically, the choice is like, oh, you can go on a diet or you know, you can not find a husband and get married, you know, like that is the type yeah. of thing I was dealing with. <laughs> totally. It's that low grade fear. And it's like that protection for the people, like, let's just stay with family. Um, and especially as, as kids, it's so challenging because um, we don't know that fear yet. Right. Because we're not, we're not, we're not parents. And so it's, it's interesting hearing that fear reflected and um, it's out of love and there's no blame at all um, because everyone's just really doing the best that they can. But it's so interesting going through life as a woman at such an impressionable age where food is tied to worth in some way, whether that's finding a man or getting a job or whatever type of fear is being imposed on you at that part in your life um oh true and yeah. yeah I was gonna say it comes back to like them wanting what's best for you and the only way they know how and it just I mean speaks to the fact that like worth is really tied to how you're perceived in society as a woman and your status as a woman and body image is tied especially to worth <laughs> totally you know? yeah and go ahead yeah no I was just gonna say unfortunately like you know what you look like matters at this point because a woman's beauty is like a symbol of status as well not only for herself but like for her family for her her husband you know it's like it comes back to these obviously patriarchal views but it's yes. just interesting how you know they're still enforced by you know generations of women before me like my grandmother and my mom yeah totally and there's also that low-grade fear and anxiety around health as well and what's what's really interesting is for most of our families and communities um weight and health are so intertwined and the work that you and I are doing in the intuitive eating community is really backing up the scientific studies disproving that which is it's just an 
it's really changing the conversation and it's changing the ways that we view health and body size and in return worth. But it it's so challenging to change that because there's such a long lineage of um, thoughts and beliefs and and systems before that. Um, so sometimes it feels like swimming up against a current, but it is so humbling to have conversations. How does your family feel about the work that you do now? To be honest, like I, I think they're just confused about the idea of an eating disorder in general, even mm. though they display several signs of disordered eating. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they just haven't come into the level of awareness about it yet. Mm-hmm. And they are pretty confused as to what I do, but um, they know that like, from what I tell them, like my work really inspires me and lights me up and like people are healing from their eating disorders, which they perceive obviously is a really good thing. And they're proud of me for that. But I think like fundamentally, they don't really understand what I do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and we'll get into that because I do have some questions to help the audience understand or just the, the listeners um, understand as well too. One thing that you said that I also really loved was that your body is super resilient and well-equipped. And you started out this story by getting the feedback from your grandmother that you're built like a horse and horses are so resilient and they're so equipped. And so, um, isn't it amazing that you do live in this body that is so protective and so, so nurturing and supportive for you, no matter what stage you are in your relationship with food or, or disordered eating. Um, I just thought that was really an interesting through line that you shared. Yeah, it's true. And like, I always say like I was terrible at my eating disorder. (laughs) <laughs> it was an reflection, right? And like, <laughs> I mean, I laugh about it now, but like, the back, like, and I know some of my clients are in this place where, like, because their body isn't a reflection, they refuse to like reach out and get help. But it's just a real, real testament to like how strong and resilient the body is. Just like mm-hmm. the horse. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> for me. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And one, one other thing that I wanted to touch on too was just this transition from anorexia to binge eating and bulimia which is is pretty common and you you know you and I both educate on that but the restrict binge cycle sometimes it happens immediately um, and then sometimes it is very compartmentalized with one specific disorder and then moving into the other and then in your case and in mine too, kind of falling into that orthorexia where it's really just trying to use food to heal and and feeling disordered around that. And so that's a really interesting part of your story. And one thing that I, I would love to hear you elaborate on that I think is really going to help everybody understand this. And this is something I'm, I'm really interested in shifting the conversation around too, but let's just break down disordered eating because dieting is disordered eating. I think that there's a lot of confusion around disordered eating and eating disorders. Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. When I use the term disordered eating, it's, it's hard for people to understand. What yeah. So can you, can you just explain in your, in your own um, messaging and, 
and how you look at that, what, what it is. Yeah, so I'd say that disordered eating is the spectrum which different eating disorders fall on. And sometimes those eating disorders are at the far end of the spectrum. So I'd say anorexia is probably at the far end of the restriction spectrum, which is one form of disordered eating. Whereas bulimia and binge eating are at the far end of like an overeating spectrum, let's say. Mm-hmm. And um Within that, dieting falls within disordered eating because sometimes, well, most of the time in dieting, we are restricting or, you know, using food rules or food policing and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. um, which goes against our nature with what we're learning in intuitive eating, which is that we shouldn't have to do these kinds of things like count calories and macros and abide by food rules. We should be innately able to tap into the wisdom of our body to eat and fuel ourselves in a way that's natural to us and that we ate when, or how we ate like when we were a child. So um, I guess disordered eating on the whole is basically a sum of different behaviors that you're using to control, manipulate, or, um, reduce your food intake or your body weight Mm -hmm. it's not in a healthy positive way because you're feeling really um, obsessive you're feeling really negative because of the different repercussions and side effects which may include a low sense of self-esteem low confidence body image issues um, as well as just like feeling like your headspace is really preoccupied as well yes yeah yeah (laughs) <laughs> no, that's a great way to, um, that's a great way to define it. I appreciate you sharing all that. And I don't know how you feel about this. I'm really passionate about destigmatizing this concept of disordered eating because I think a lot of people hear that and they feel sorry for people who actually fall into that label when in reality we live in a disordered eating culture right like most people I was gonna say women it's kind of people at this point even with all of these extreme wellness trends it's a version of disordered eating there's different variations of it there's different severities of it but to your point if it is causing food preoccupation, um, food and body preoccupation, food manipulation, um, and also just policing, it, it is disordered eating. And there's nothing to be ashamed of with that either because it is, it is so common, but that doesn't have to be your reality. Like there is a different way. Um, any thoughts? Exactly. Yeah. Any thoughts around that? Like, how do you how do you feel about just disordered eating in general and the the stigma that's around it? Yeah, I think it's hard for people to admit that their dis- their eating is disordered. Like, even just to say that is a challenge, and especially like you know, with the people that I see, sometimes it's hard for them to fully accept the fact that yeah, they have been de- dealing with disordered eating because there's, you know, some negative connotations attached to that, just like if you were labeled with an eating disorder as well. Um, but because you're not in a full-blown eating disorder, it's like somehow worse because, yeah, you know, it's well, like, it's, at least- it's a shade of gray, which is so uncomfortable for most people. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, but 
I agree with you in the sense where like all of us to some degree experience disordered eating or disordered thoughts or at least are affected by diet culture, Mm -hmm. um, which is pretty pervasive at this point because most of us consume media in some form or another where weight loss is often targeting people. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, I don't think any of us are separate from it. And I think a lot of us have even just maybe if it doesn't manifest into our, you know, behavior around food, it definitely manifests into the way we speak about, you know, like anything surrounding weight and weight stigma as well as, food and dieting right and so um even necessarily if you're not a normal eater you might have certain beliefs that perpetuate these kind of negative side effects and consequences within society just like my grandmother who you know is trying to do her best and like is trying to love me the only way she knows how really by protecting me from you know what she considers um fearful in society she means well, just like most people I'm sure do, but she doesn't realize how she also too is perpetuating this idea of like, you know, women have women having to shrink and weight loss being a really positive thing and mm-hmm. everything else that comes along with that. And that's like, you know, mentality that's been around for as long as she's lived in this lifetime. So at least, you know, 75 years. <laughs> it's yeah. not just something that's with wellness culture. Like this is something that's been like part of, you know, just the evolution of humans and the patriarchy. Totally, totally. Well, I think that it's interesting, um, the space that we're in now, because it really flies under the radar with a lot of the the wellness trends that are out right now, because it's kind of in in this, uh, in the guise of like health. And um, it can feel really confusing sometimes. And it's also... I want to just share that it's who for every, everybody who's listening, this isn't anything to feel ashamed about and it's nothing to feel um, insecure about. It's really an opportunity to self-reflect and change the conversation. And um, we all have work to do. And I want to, I do want to start getting into your thoughts on intuitive eating and the work that you do, but that's one of the best parts about becoming an intuitive eater that when you step into this, when you really start to heal your relationship with your food, with food and your body, it is just a part of life and it's a journey and it's really not related to any kind of finish line or anything. Like we were on this path that is constantly ebbing and flowing because we're in this culture that's perpetuating change all the time right yeah um yeah it's 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 around it's been around for a very long time so dismantling this huge network of why we feel pressure to you know eventually develop these disordered eating behaviors and why we feel even more pressure to not um allow ourselves to even get help around that or admit to ourselves that it's an issue without guilt and shame, I think prevents a lot of people from actually healing. And I think that's possibly why it is um, one of the mental health conditions that has a high rate of death because a lot of it is not talked about and there is a lot of stigma to, you know, still admitting that you have an eating disorder in general, much less, you know, being on the spectrum of disordered eating. Mm-hmm. Can you just clear that up 
just so that nobody has a panic attack when they when they hear what you mean by death <laughs> because that's, yeah, that's pretty okay. <laughs> no that's okay <laughs> out of all the mental health conditions like the highest rates of you know death are in the eating disorder population <laughs> which is terrifying because it this work is so important to do to heal your yeah. relationship food because it really can become a slippery slope and your life can potentially be at risk. Um, yeah. But see, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And that's hard for a lot of people to hear. And I, I think that's why there is a lot of fear and shame around even admitting that you have a, um, you know, an unhealthy relationship with food or a disordered relationship with food without having a full-blown eating disorder because they're on the same spectrum, like you said. Um, and mm -hmm. it's very pervasive for falling into eating disorders. So thank you for sharing that. And I, we haven't really talked about that on the podcast yet. And so I appreciate your, your honesty and your truth around that. In terms of finding intuitive eating, what what did that look like in, in your journey with food and your relationship with food? Yeah. So, um, I read about intuitive eating. That was the first way I learned about it. I picked up the book, which I think is most people's first start to learning about intuitive eating. Um, and then I tried to really follow like a bunch of intuitive eating coaches and, you know, body positive people on Instagram and really fill my head and my community as well. Um, with, women who were empowering me with this message of body positivity, which also usually went hand in hand with like intuitive eating and um, reshaping essentially mm -hmm. how we see food in our bodies. And so once I read intuitive eating, I really wanted to start to put it into practice. Um, but it just so happened that it coincided with me going on my first backpacking trip to Asia mm. and, somehow like I'm really lucky that I read the book intuitive eating because I don't know if you've ever been backpacking but yeah essentially yeah so food is kind of like out of your control for a lot of the time because you're changing from place to place you have no consistency in your schedule much less where you are and what you're eating and so it was kind of a way for me to give myself full permission and surrender um, without me intentionally trying to do it I guess mm -hmm. yeah um, and so it healed me in a way because I was like applying those principles and then I started to actually get deeper into it. Like I'd read the book once the first time, but then I got the workbook and like, I started to read like other books, like the bucket diet and like all that kind of stuff and really diving in after I come back from my trip. Um, and so I spent the next six months, like, although I'd started to put into practice intuitive eating already, um, and kind of fill my headspace with these thoughts and this like reshaping of the narrative that I'd been believing for so long. Eventually, like six months later, so a full year after I decided to actually start intuitive eating, um, I was like ready to teach other women about it because I'd really gotten a firm grasp on it. And that's when I started to kind of develop my program and stuff. Awesome. So how would you, if, if somebody is hearing the term intuitive eating for the first time, um, how would you describe it to them? Mm, intuitive eating is really just an honoring of your, your body's signals, mm -hmm. um, hunger and fullness signals, but it's not only a hunger and fullness diet. It also includes seeing food as 
pleasurable and enjoying food for the sake of pleasure itself. Um, it includes feeling very free and having full permission to have whatever food whenever you want it in the amount in the amount that you want it. And um, because you have this sense of permission and you have freedom around food, you're not following food rules or demonizing any foods, you are able to listen and honor your body's cravings a lot better. You're able to listen to your hunger and fullness a lot better. You're able to um, understand why certain processes happen in your body. For instance, like if you naturally restrict because let's say one day you have less food for whatever reason, the next day your body might overcompensate or overeat. And that's just a natural, normal process that happens. How we use food to kind of like emotionally eat also ties back into intuitive eating. So I think all these concepts kind of fall under like intuitive eating is really just relearning how to interpret those cues from your body. And it's, really just attunement Mm -hmm. to yourself. Yeah. And um, yeah, I love your, your definition of it or your description of it. It's every time I ask that question or anytime somebody asks me that question, what it is, I always feel like, okay, (laughs) I have to like gear up to explain this because there it's so multifaceted and um, there's so many components to it. But um, one thing that really struck me in your description of it that I thought of was, again, going back to that moment of your grandma saying you're built like a horse and um, having that feedback from somebody before that, that's like, we're born intuitive eaters. And it's so cool to, um, to watch kids and their relationships with food and their bodies, because it is truly this just intuitive relationship where exactly what you said like you eat when you're hungry you stop when you're full you play you eat foods that are satisfying you you truly aren't being guided by any kind of external food rules or um commentary on what should be eaten or shouldn't be eaten so i i love that full circle uh concept for you yeah it was really nice coming back to that place and you know, the work is always to be done. Like now it's been two and a half, no, two years since I started intuitive eating. And um, there's always some areas where I can improve even more and certain concepts, but um, definitely have the basics down pat and have been living um, what I consider my best food life because of it. And yeah, it's just been really, really good. So like since then, like I, it's almost hard for me sometimes to get back into that headspace of what it was like for me. But like, Mm -hmm. honestly, my day to day before intuitive eating was just like a nightmare. (laughs) Like really like my headspace was not okay. And I couldn't commit um, any energy to anything else because I had no bandwidth left to Mm -hmm. think about anything else except for food in my body. And that's where all of my time and energy really went. Mm, Yeah. Same love. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> definitely the same. And I, I know that our a lot of our um, clients and women in our community feel the same too. And so um, it's, it's important to talk about that because it feels isolating and confusing when our thoughts are totally consumed with food and our bodies. And sometimes it feels like that's the only option because 
that's just been our reality for so long. Um, so what does life look like now that you are an intuitive eater? What, a, what does a typical, what are some things that you're sometimes able to step back and just think, Oh my gosh, like this is crazy. I, I'm doing this now or I'm feeling this way. Yeah. So, I mean, I have a moment almost every day where I'm like, thank God for, you know, intuitive. Yeah. Please share. Yeah. So, I mean, especially like just waking up and like, you think that when you start intuitive eating, you're going to wake up and like have positive thoughts about food, but it's really just waking (laughs) up and thinking about anything else. (laughs) And, um, I, I guess now, like, my favorite moments are, like, just like today, where I was able to, like, get a brownie coconut ice cream and pour some coffee on top of it and just, like, enjoy that as my snack before some calls <laughs> and yeah. then have, like, a raw cheesecake. And not saying that this is something I do every single day, but, like, being able to do both of those things without any guilt and shame and just like fully enjoying it and having the pleasurable experience of food and not giving a second thought to it. Like it was just freeing for me. I was like, you know, this would have the actual pain that I would have endured um, mentally from that food would have made me more sick than the actual food itself, you know? And yeah, there's food that heals your soul as well so I say that all the time yeah soul food it's I mean I think soul food is beyond food it is absolutely what we eat but it's like what truly lights up our soul and that's so personal for for everybody too um yeah I love I love that so much and it thank you for sharing that because I totally agree I think that a lot of people think when I become an intuitive eater or when I go through this process I'm just going to think about food all the time in a really happy way and a really like lighthearted and positive way. And the cool thing is that's, yeah, you kind of, that's a part of it, but the most exciting part is you just really aren't thinking about food that much in general. It's kind of like washing your hair almost like you just, you do it when you need to do it and you feel really great afterwards and it, it's based on how you want to feel and also other asset aspects too, like community and culture and all of these things. And so mm-hmm. it's not like the main focus of life anymore. It's a way to enhance life and celebrate life and, and uh, fuel you mind, body and soul. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like the entire experience of food has changed from, you know, an act of either like being so black and white where it's either self-love or self-hate um, or punishment and reward, that kind of like, you know, mentality to just like something that's more neutral and um, just part of, you know, what I need to survive the day to day. And like, I now know that a lot of the beliefs that I held were not really that true. Like I thought if I allowed myself to eat whatever I want, I would just like gain so much weight. And now I realize like I can have three or four days of literally just eating everything I want. And like, it doesn't necessarily fit into the categories or molds of like the perfect diet that you'd imagine if you were, you know, trying to be quote unquote healthy, Mm -hmm. but 
I haven't gained in uncontrollable amounts of weight. I don't feel, you know, so much worse than I did three days ago. Like nothing, there's been no side effects or consequences. And like, yeah, I think I had a lot of fear about what would happen if I gave release the control and like kind of like took off that lid to like yeah. the beer bowl, you know, and like all the foam would come out. Yeah. I guess but that's not really what happened like it was just like you know I dealt with all the other stuff coming out like the foam was like my insecurities and like you know my lack of self-worth and my body image issues but like I didn't like you know none of what I actually thought would would happen and what what I was scared of the most before I started intuitive eating actually happened um and I just gained so much of my life back like without intuitive eating honestly I don't know where I would be and I definitely wouldn't be enjoying my life as much as I do now yeah I feel the same and I I think that that I appreciate you saying that um because I think that that is a very common fear um for a lot of women who are just starting to learn about intuitive eating but not ready to completely embody it or heal the relationship with food in that way. But this fear of, oh my gosh, what is my body shape going to do if I just eat what I really want to eat, if I have full permission or I won't be able to stop myself and all of these things, like you said. And that's, um, that's one of my favorite things to support clients with because it's just, it's, it's so much more than that to your point. Like that's, that's really where when we heal the relationship with food, we really get to do a lot of the emotional work and the body image work and a lot of those things too. Um, and you do get your life back, which is the best part, the best part. Um, what were some other fears that you had before truly just going full in with this work? Hmm. I think, like, I often felt like I was the only person in the world who kind of dealt with this. And, like, maybe in some regards, like, the only person in my immediate world of, like, my family and friends. So I felt really misunderstood. And, like, one of my fears was that, like, hmm, yeah, like, this works for this person, this girl, this blogger but it's not going to work for me like I am the exception to the rule and I have problems and no one else understands and like kind of victimizing myself in a sense but like this was my fears really speaking because like I didn't believe that I was capable of healing you know and this is something I like inspire my audience with a lot or try to is that like you know you're so capable of healing within yourself like you're so capable of doing the work and showing up for yourself and, you know, getting through it. And that even if you've had your eating disorder for, you know, four, five, ten years, like you're still capable and worthy of, you know, getting the tools and support that you need, but you need to believe in yourself first, you know? Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. So important. Really recognizing where that victim mentality is showing up, like you said, and being willing to, rise above that to do the work to truly heal. And I, I really appreciate you saying that because I'm also super passionate about encouraging women to understand that, that you are worthy of healing. You are completely deserving of having a healthy, healed, joyful relationship with food and your body. And it's possible. So thank you for um, illuminating that in in your own words and your perspective on the poem yeah it's it's 
been a ride. It's been a journey. I've definitely um, learned a lot along the way. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, tell everybody where you are now, because I just found out right before we started this conversation. Um, and I think that this is just such a beautiful way to, to share the work that you're doing and where you're at right now in terms of your life and your relationship with food and your body and just the world that you live in. So what are, what are you up to right now? Yeah. So I actually um, went to Asia for a second time this year in February and um, with all the pandemic stuff, I ended up in Cambodia. I live in Kampot. I've been here for the last five months and I really, really enjoy it here. I've actually started to run women's circles within my community and start to do um, some work on the ground, but mostly I work with clients online. Um, while I live it out in rainy Cambodia during, uh, you know, Southeast mm -hmm. Asia's rainy season. Yeah. That time of year, it's quite exciting. <laughs> yeah, there is lots of rain. I, like I mentioned to you, I, I was there when I was in college for a summer and the rain is no joke. It's probably some of the heaviest rain I've ever been in my entire yeah. life. Yeah, it's crazy. But I, I love that so much. I got so excited when you shared that with me um, at the beginning of our talk because it's just so beautiful um, being in that part of the world and the work that you're doing and just being able to be fully present and um, light yourself up, yourself up with all that joy and also share it with the rest of the world and encourage other women to do the same. So it's really beautiful. Yeah, it's been awesome. And I'm really, really lucky that I'm a, in a position where I can see clients online anywhere in the world and that I have clients in different spots in the world because in a lot of different places, um, you know, people don't have access to this type of care, especially specialized care in disordered eating. Yeah. And even sometimes at like a clinical level in some Western clinics, there's not a lot of support. And mm -hmm. so especially in this small town where I live now in Cambodia, I see how like, you know, this skill is really needed in the world and um, people do need help. And it's been very humbling as well to like be able to provide that, you know, on a local standpoint and also on a global standpoint. Yeah. I'm curious, um, are you just being in Cambodia and being around that culture, do you notice any similar disordered eating patterns just in that particular culture? Mm -hmm. Like what's their relationship with food and body like there? I'd say like they have a more traditional view of um, food and body both. So I'd say like in terms of food, like um, there's still a lot of street food, a lot of like, I guess pretty, they don't have the concept of like fast food the way Western society does for sure. So I think they don't have like the conditioning of like fast food, processed food, or even like the hate of fast food and processed food and the fear of those things. Mm -hmm. Um I think like they have a lot of street, even street food is considered kind of like somewhat healthy and homemade. Mm -hmm. um, so they, their relationship to food is definitely different in that way. But I'd say that they experience more food scarcity than food abundance. And that it plays a significant part in how your eating disorder is shaped. Yeah. So, yeah. I find that like, you know, 
rather in Western societies where there's a lot of like um, tending towards restriction and dieting here from what I've seen, at least there's not really that pressure to diet because like actually gaining weight is a sign of like health, mm. um, which should like, or even maintaining weight is a sign of health. And I think that should, that's how it should be. Like losing weight to me is not generally a sign of health if, unless you're actively trying to do it. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think here, like they, they still have a very traditional view where like fat and, and larger bodies are, celebrated somewhat you know because yeah. of the poverty mm-hmm. yeah that that's so interesting that you get to be there and really witness that and um bring that into your work I can imagine just having that perspective and that lived experience it's mm-hmm. awesome well love I've so enjoyed this conversation and I really appreciate you just being so vulnerable, be willing, being so willing to open up and share your truth and your story and encourage and inspire other women to um, begin this journey for themselves or keep going if they're already on it. So thank you so, so much. And before we wrap, do you mind if I ask a few fun questions just to close, close things out? (laughs) Sweet. So if you could just share your morning routine, I love asking this question and just getting to know how you start your day. Yes. Um, so typically I will wake up at like seven or eight, but now in in rainy season, it's been like eight or nine. (laughs) And make myself a tea or a coffee, depending on how tired I am. Mm-hmm. And then I will um, either go to a yoga class or if I don't make it in time for that, um, definitely do my morning routine, which lately has been including tapping and some meditation and my own yoga stretch at home. Um, so yeah, that's typically my morning routine. Cool. Love it. I can picture it, maybe because I've been there, but I can picture it when you're describing it and it just sounds so lovely and nourishing if you were going if you were going to switch careers with guaranteed success and joy what would you do right now Hmm. I've been saying for a bit, like, so I did want to study um, different areas of like relationship and um, elements of Tantra yoga as well. Cool. And so I think like what I would do as well is um, be a relationship counselor um, or psychotherapist in relationship. Awesome. I love. <laughs> love that. How do you define self-care? Um, doing the things for yourself, which are going to lift you up. And for some people that's like, you know, getting certain actual physical work done. And for certain other people that's taking a break. Mm. Um, I think finding your balance point and what you're needing in that particular moment and being your self motivator. So your cheerleader or also like the person who's telling you to relax and slow down. I think self-care is really having attunement to what you need in that particular moment yeah totally if it's the uh, foundation for intuitive eating for sure Mm -hmm. what's one wellness trend that you wish would disappear (laughs) um um skinny teas like skinny (laughs) appetite suppressant 
things. <laughs> I actually <laughs> can't believe they're still around. I'm like baffled that they are, but people are still buying them. So I guess they're there. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And like, ugh, they're horrible for you. They're horrible yeah. for your body. They're horrible for your body. And it's, it's just so sad because there's so many celebrities and influencers and, and um, women that people look up to that are promoting this and just completely, um, you know, creating this, this false perception of what they actually do. So I'm in agreement for sure. Do you have a signature dinner party dish that you whip up if somebody has an event or just something that you bring over to a house? <laughs> I guess I haven't been adulting for long enough for this, but, um, <laughs> you know, like usually I'll bring some happy cake to the party. <laughs> like keep wait, in mind, I'm also pretty young. <laughs> wait, what is it? Happy cake? What's that? Yeah, happy cake, if you know what I'm kind of getting at, but you've been oh, to Cambodia. <laughs> got it, got it, got it. Yes. Yes. Uh, um, Google uh, it if, if you're listening. <laughs> don't know it. It's, it's kind of like happy pizza. Um. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but ideally, what I want to bring is like a nice like raw vegan dessert, like a, a raw vegan cheesecake, because I used to be the owner of a raw vegan dessert company before I transitioned to Granny's Food Freedom. Get out. We didn't even yeah. touch on that in your story, so you'll have to come back and, and share that, <laughs> that part of your life. I love that. Um, what's one book or resource that changed your relationship with food or your body? I mean, intuitive eating, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, besides intuitive that. eating, was there any other book? Because I, I, I feel like that's yeah that pretty obvious know. yeah <laughs> um, oh okay so I actually read the book recently called the hippie uh, sorry hippie and it's a book on Paul Paulo Coelho which is mm. one of my favorite authors yes I love him yeah it's so good it's his life story about how he traveled from Amsterdam to Nepal and like it's a love story as well and it's oh my gosh story. And, like, I, I, since I've read that book, I really want to go to Nepal. But, like, it just kind of changed my life because he had such a hard life and a hard early life. And then he became one of the most famous authors in the world and, like, retired in Brazil. So, you know, uh, it really inspired some hope in me during the pandemic. Was I read it at the start of the pandemic when I was moving from India to Cambodia, like, on a whim, hoping that everything would be okay and that I could stay here while everything kind of settled down. Yeah. And it, it really did inspire hope in me and remind, like, reminded me to trust the journey and trust that I'm here for a reason. And if I was supposed to go home, I would have. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. I, I would love to read that. That sounds super romantic. Um, what's the last TV series that you watched or one that you would recommend? The last TV series I watched was Sex Education. Oh, I've heard of that. Yeah. It's so good. It's like a little, um, I guess it's like a high school series, like set in a high school theme. But um, the concepts that they explain and like the discomfort of like growing up and learning about your sexuality as well as like, you know, experimenting with your sexuality and trying out different things and like also the curiosity and the naive side of who you are as a teenager exploring those kind of things um it's just really interesting and engaging as well as kind of educational and like um it was just a fun thing to watch honestly and i really really enjoyed it 
Cool. I'll have to check it out. I haven't watched it yet. Um, Fran, this was awesome. You're awesome. Thank you so much again for coming on. Where can everybody find you if they, if they want to reach out to work with you or just connect with you and follow what you're doing? Yeah. So if you want to reach out to me, you can find me on Instagram at Franny's Food Freedom. And you can also find me at www.frannysfoodfreedom.com. Those are my two main places at the moment. You can also reach out to me through email. So same thing at gmail.com. But yeah, I currently work one-to-one, but I'm working on a group program in September. So that's my next kind of adventure. Awesome. Well, thank you again, love. And I, I hope we get to meet in person one day um, yeah. as well, too. But thank you for coming on and sharing all of this. And we'll talk soon. Thank you for having me and allowing me to just like really show up as myself and like not putting any um, expectations on allowing this conversation to just be organic and flow because I've really appreciated of course. Uh, fully being of course. myself. Yeah, of course. <laughs> All right. Thank you. That's our show. Thank you to our producer, Matt Iskey, our show manager, Shayla Anderson. If you want to stay connected to the Modern Girl community and learn more about our show guests, click the show notes of this episode. And if this conversation resonated with you, throw a five-star rating and review our way so that we can keep spreading the Modern Girl message with more women. And one last thing, don't forget to hit subscribe so that you can save time and stay on top of the new episode each week. I'm sending you so much love, wisdom, and strength. Talk to you soon.